I was gonna nitpick your last sentence of a whole other level of you shouldn't mistreat that person. I mean, you shouldn't mistreat any person. Okay, well, you have been so mean to me over the last six episodes. You are not a person to me. You are my brother. So get fucked. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Lauren Gets Lost, a Lost Rewatch podcast. I'm Zane. And I'm Lauren. And today we're covering episode six, House of the Rising Sun. Before we get started, I do have a personal announcement. And I know you guys are all going to really care about this. I did tell Andrew that we're doing this podcast. Oh, shit. <laughs> because, okay, for those listening, yesterday was our first episode launch and it felt like I was keeping a secret which I mean I was keeping a secret but it felt weird you know you sit down at the dinner table and you talk about your day and my day was that I've released a podcast into the world so I told him and he made fun of me like I thought he would did he listen to it no hell no I told him I'd never play a second of it. Oh, well, I did play him the sound, the music, because I wanted him to hear what dad came up with. But no, I, I, he'll never listen to a second of this podcast ever. I did not tell him the name of it, so hopefully he can't find it. Cannot wait for Christmas. You won't see him. I'll find a way. No. Yeah, so like Lauren said, yesterday was our big launch. Um. We launched on August 23rd or 823, which is two of the numbers. Oh my God. Is that why we launched on that day? No, you just said, hey, I want to launch. And I was like, okay, here's a date. Oh. If I wanted to wait for a specific date, I would have done September 22nd. That's too far. Well, it is the anniversary of the show's airing. I was going to say that we should have done something like that, but I didn't know when that would have been. And so I was like, well, that's probably not possible. That's possible. We would have just been probably done with season one by the time it rolled around. I don't know. Season one's long as fuck. So probably not. Well, yeah. So we launched, um, not a whole lot of listeners, but we understand we're young. So it's probably going to take a while, but our social media is starting to pick up a little steam ever since Kate took over. Um, I'm excited. It feels like the genie's finally out of the bottle and this is like real now. It does feel real. I literally woke up to multiple text messages. Since I'm in California, there's a time difference. So multiple people had already listened to the podcast and texted me, including my best friend who I also did not tell about this podcast. And I woke up to a text from her that said, why didn't you tell me about your podcast? I was like, I don't know. It's secret, I guess. Okay. What do you mean by multiple people? We literally only have 16 people that have listened to this episode, two of which are us. Okay. But multiple means more than one. You texted me and Delaney texted me and that's two people. Fuck off. (laughs) Our mother called me on the way home today and gave me all her notes on the episode uh, I believe she was upset with how many times you in particular said the F-bomb. Fuck you, mom. 
I'm not cutting that. <laughs> She's not going to like that. No, not at all. But yeah, so we just started out. We're excited. We, we're realistic about our growth. Um, so if you want to help us out, if you like the show, please give us a five-star rating. Leave us a review. Tell your friends. Share us on social media if you like us that much. And if you didn't like our podcast, tell your enemies. Maybe they'll listen. All right, let's get into it. We'll start off with the quick bits, as we always do. Number one, this episode was written by Jeffrey Liber, who wrote a few episodes of best-known shows were probably The Originals and the CW's Charmed reboot. Um, I love the CW shows, but I recognize them as trash. I was obsessed with the Arrowverse and I dabbled in Riverdale for a while before it jumped the shark. Um, but to think that this guy wrote a pretty solid episode, in my opinion, like, I don't really think of this as like when I think of my top 10 episodes for season one, but this was actually a pretty good one. But to think he went from lost to, uh, the originals and charmed, which no hate they're good shows, but like the CW and ABC are like completely different channels when it comes to quality. Hey, the originals is a good show. I like charm too, but just again, it's hard to defend a channel when Riverdale is on it. Yeah. Riverdale is ridiculous, but I like vampire diaries and I like the originals. CW is not all bad. It's got a lot of, hot high schoolers basically and then this episode was also directed by michael zinberg who has directed and worked on all sorts of different stuff 90210 psych ncis good wife agents of shield he's done multiple episodes for all sorts of different shows but i thought it was interesting this is the only episode of lost he directed do most people who have directed the show direct multiple episodes yeah, I would early on, they get like a group of directors that they trust. I mean, like we listen to Office Ladies and they talk about how they pretty much have the same core directors every time. But then as the show gets longer, they bring in some guest directors. So the fact that this is the sixth episode and we never see this person direct another episode, I just thought was interesting and worth noting. Um, another f- quick bit, male drone bees were used in the beehive scene because they do not have stingers. Oh, interesting. I thought they were CGI bees. I thought they were CGI bees too. I thought they, they didn't look real. So bad. Oh yeah, it looks bad. But I think the part that looked bad were CGI because it was mainly like when they were like on his face and stuff. Yeah, yeah. I think that probably just was too difficult to like train them, especially since he kind of like, you know, kills one. We think, I think he killed, he gets it. Well, he swats at them at yeah. least. But, but there definitely were some scenes where there were real bees, probably in the chase scene at least. Here's a fun fact within your quick bits. I am allergic to bees. <laughs> we should, I, do you still have that picture of you on the cart in Walmart with your swollen foot? It was Target. And yeah, I stepped on a bee in high school and it stung my pinky toe, but it, my leg swelled up completely below my knee and I was on crutches because my leg was so swollen. So I, I rode one of those um, electric wheelchair cart things around Target. 
maybe if we have a following the two months it takes for us to post this episode we'll uh post that photo on our story no we're gonna post it no matter what fair enough diving into uh the actors of this episode Yunjin Kim has no had no screen credits where she primarily spoke English rather than Korean before she played the role of Sun Kwan on Lost. And Daniel Day Kim had not spoken Korean regularly since his teenage years. So it's kind of just like the inverse of their characters on the show. Daniel actually credits Yunjin for helping him reacclimate himself into the Korean language. This was actually the first Korean role that Daniel Day Kim had portrayed, despite being of Korean descent. His Korean was so bad in the first few episodes of the series that members of the cast and crew referred to it as country Korean. Interesting. What the hell is happening in your apartment right now? I'm hearing car alarms. I think somebody just body slammed a wall. I I don't know. Remember when I said I lived in a shithole? Yeah. Yeah. Don't worry, the door's chain locked. Awesome. But my guard dog is in a crate. And the last thing I want to touch on before we get into this episode is just want to put it out there that this episode touches on and implies the history and culture of communities that we are not members of. Um, We are not experts and we don't believe that we are qualified to really give opinions or deep thoughts on some of the things that they're talked about, but we are going to do our best to touch on them and handle them respectfully. Ditto. All right. So let's get into it. This is episode six, House of the Rising Sun or House of the Rising Sub, as I have put in my notes. Didn't realize I did that. I didn't either because I never read your notes. You never do. They're useless. Go ahead. Lead lead the episode. Yeah. So that... Watch Lost. How about at least give your synopsis like you're supposed to? Oh, right, 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 right. Synopsis. You didn't make one, did you? No, I did not. I thought about it. I thought thought about it while I was watching. I said, oh, I got to make sure I do my synopsis after. Um, But I didn't. So, right, I watched the episode yesterday, which means it's fresh in my mind. In this episode, Jack decides that he wants to move the camp back to where the fresh water source is. So he's trying to convince everybody to go, somewhat to stay, because they don't want to give up on being rescued. They think if a boat goes by or a plane flies over, they won't be seen. So there's some division there. And we're focusing on Sun and Jin, their life before the island, back when they first got together, and then when it wasn't so great. And what brought them to the tension that they have now? Also worth mentioning that Jin beats the shit out of Michael, and there are consequences. Right. Forgot about that. It all is that doing stuff. Also, there's some drug stuff. Okay, we're moving on. I'm killing it. I'm always killing it. I'm so good at this. One of these days, we're going to get the flow of the show down. Not in my... What? That's not what I was trying to say. All right. No, I want to say what I wanted to say. My response to the flow of the show is, not on my watch. No, not, that's not what I want to say. 
my response to the photo show, my response to the photo show is not if I have anything to do with it. Good job, Morin. So the episode starts off with Sun sniffing some flowers and watching Jin catch fish with his bare hands. I was so impressed by that. I just want to say now, don't tell me until you feel it's uh, the proper time, but how you came up with hottie of the week this week, I'm going to need to dive into that because I've got like a four-way tie. You didn't come up with hottie of the week. I didn't come up with hottie of the week. I was just going to kind of play it by ear, see how I feel in the moment. I think I have, it's difficult we should say that Lauren is actually busy this week with work and going on a trip. So she didn't have the time to lovingly uh, put together her prep for the podcast that she normally does because she does care about the show and its listeners. Yeah, I do care about it. Uh, yeah. So I'm going on a trip tomorrow. So we're recording earlier in the week than we normally do. And I also have a deadline coming up at work that I've been majorly stressed about. We so promise, it's not my fault. We promise next week or I guess two weeks from now, if we're still doing bi-weekly, we'll be better. I don't promise that. And this okay, is, fine. Okay, fine. I promise that. Sun overhears Jack and Kate talking about Jack's tattoos because Kate is curious about the reason behind them, saying they don't add up with his personality. This I thought the same thing. This is the first sign that Sun like can speak English because she's eavesdropping. Um, but you're right. Jack and tattoos don't mix. I thought that the first episode. But I also thought it was interesting because when they first start this scene, the talking, the conversation that she's overhearing starts out muffled, which I, I've noticed shows will do that when somebody who isn't like a native English speaker is overhearing a conversation in English. They'll kind of like make the words sound distorted or muffled so it's like showing the audience that they can't understand but it goes from muffled to clear which i think is like our first little hint like you said that she can understand you should wait until they show it's down the line but like jen's perspective of english speakers and it's just complete it's it's like the sim language it's actually not even that because at least the sim language you can kind of like make out what they're saying it's just complete gibberish so there's some hardcore flirting going on between Jack and Kate, which is interrupted by Charlie saying they need to hurry up and get to the caves for the water. Also, Locke is shaving his face with a pocket knife, which is honorable mention for Hottie of the Week. I know he's approximately 70 years old, but like, that was You hot. have to stop giving Locke any points for Hottie of the Week. He's not even on the table. When I start out my Hottie of the Week, I put Kate, Saeed, Sawyer. That's it. Those are the only options. Maybe one time I considered Jack and then I had to, you, you know. You didn't consider Jin at all this week? Actually, I did a little bit. But I can't get over the whole intimate partner violence. Sorry. Not sorry. I agree. But uh, pre-shitty Jin, when he's like, got the charm and the flowers and all that. That would have worked on me. Plus beating the shit out of Michael. I love a, I love a, a, a tough man. Uh, no. A tough man are Sawyer and Saeed. When they broke up the brawl, they're tied for hottie of the week. I decided right now because of that scene. 
I'll, but, I'll tell you when the real hottie of the week emerges and why. I'm terrified. It's gonna, I'm going to hate it. No, you're not. You're going to love it. Um, so any interest in Jack's tattoos? Like, other, yeah. than, other than this, like, blink and you miss it line? Yeah, I thought, I already said this. The first episode, I was like, what are those tattoos? You just don't think that a doctor would have them. And they're kind of weird. Did it ever occur to you that maybe the actor had them? Uh, you would know if it occurred to me if you read the notes that I sent you from the first episode because I literally wrote, are those Jack's tattoos or the actor's tattoos? Fuckhead. The answer is both. Charlie is annoyed by Kate and Jack's inside jokes. And Sun is snapped out of her, her eavesdropping by Jin beating a fish against a piece of metal, which I know nothing about fishing. Don't know what that was about. I was very confused by that. I literally thought, is the fish not dead? And he's killing the fish. But I was like, that doesn't make sense. I'm sure the fish is dead. So we get our first flashback. We see Jin as a waiter serve Sun at some fancy party. And they share like this little secret smile. It's very intimate. They sneak away and share a kiss in a gazebo. But Sun pulls away, worried that her father might see her. Sun shares that she wants to run away and get married, but Jin says he wants to marry her properly. We see that Jin is traditional and concerned about what is honorable. But Jin, what we also see is the class division between the two of them, which at first I thought, well, maybe that has to do with the kind of the power struggle and their relationship, the tension, how he seems to be very controlling. It could be overcompensating for the fact that she comes from money and he doesn't. But then obviously we learned that it's her dad's fault. Right. Jin thinks he can make Mr. Pike understand their love for each other, even though they are in different classes. But Sun is worried that Jin doesn't really understand or know her father. But Jin gives her a flower to reassure her of how charming he can be. And the man's got some charm. Or had some charm. It's not that great on the island. Sun loves the flower and Jin promises one day it'll be a diamond ring that he gives to her and they share a passionate kiss. Aren't we all waiting on a fucking diamond ring? Aren't we all? You're hinting to something, uh, but he doesn't listen to the podcast. You're right. I'm just screaming into the void. Mom's probably listening right now like, I fucking tell her all the time. Yeah, but the funny thing is when mom brings it up, I get mad. I'm like, stop rushing him. We're doing things on our own time. Mom. What do you think of this version of Jin? Yeah, it's great. It's nice. They seem cute. That's, that's all I got. At the time of watching, before you saw the rest of their story unfold, were you confused at all? Did you think like, well, why can't we have this guy? No, because I mean, I've, Everybody starts out great. Everybody starts out in a honeymoon phase in a relationship. You only are showing your best side, you know? Well, I mean, this is Plenty isn't... of abusive relationships start with love bombing. While you're not wrong, that is very true. This, I wouldn't say this is their honeymoon phase. They're about to, they're getting engaged. They've been together for a while at this point. Yeah, but relationships are cyclical. It could be a honeymoon phase, but you also don't know how long they've been together. In some cultures- the courtship process is very short. But relationships are cyclical. So, you know, when you're getting engaged or talking about marriage, you kind of return to that 
honeymoon phase, everything is new and exciting as you're transitioning into a new point in your relationship. That's a good point. I know I'm a genius. Sun is snapped out of her memory by Jin seeing Michael and Walt and then Jin charging Michael. He tackles him and proceeds to beat the living shit out of him and hold him down in the water. Walt and Sun scream for them to stop fighting, even though it's definitely not really a fight. It's just one man getting his ass kicked. And for someone to help, afraid that Jin is going to go as far as killing Michael. Saeed tackles Jin into the water and restrains him while Sawyer helps Michael up. Sawyer tosses Saeed the cuffs and they handcuff Jin to one of the pieces of landing gear. Saeed then attempts to ask Sun what happened. So when this first happened, I one thought was, why did it take so long for somebody to come help? Second thought, my prediction as to why Jin attacked Michael was that I thought maybe Sun had told him about Michael accidentally stumbling upon her bathing and that Jin was like defending her honor type of thing or not even defending her honor, but just like, you know, don't look at my almost naked wife. Right. To answer your question, there's only so many named people on the beach and it's a pretty big beach. So they got to wait until some like main characters show up. Okay. (laughs) Meanwhile, Jack is leading Kate, Charlie and Locke to the caves. Kate asks how Jack stumbled upon them. And he just says luck not sharing the story of the white rabbit. Once they enter, Locke says that he thinks the caves are amazing. And Charlie says that someone should go through all the random wreckage. And Jack says that he should look out for medical supplies and drugs in particular. While everyone else fills their water bottles, Charlie sneaks off to go take a bump and Locke finds him. The other day, this is so random, but it's referring back to, I think, our first episode. The other day I was talking to Andrew and I said something about, I was referring to heroin and I said something about it being in a powder and Andrew goes, heroin's not in a powder. And, or, or I said something about snorting heroin. I made a joke about snorting heroin and he goes, you don't snort heroin. And I was like, thank you. I said the same thing to Zane, but I couldn't tell him. In what context? Because I was still keeping the secret. Yeah, he's not snorting it. Yeah, that's what I was. I, I know that. But you said in the first episode, and then we kind of decided that we don't know if he's snorting it because we never actually see him do it. Right. Now, I, I do want to remind you, I said that in Pulp Fiction, the girl snorted heroin and almost died immediately. Right. But I think that we both thought he was snorting it. But then I was saying... That's why I thought it was cocaine because it's like in a powder, but it's not like he has a spoon, a lighter and a fucking thing to, you know, they wrap it around their arm and all that shit with heroin. It doesn't matter. We're getting off topic. Anyway. Again, why doesn't Charlie just go a little further away? He literally walks like behind a tree. I don't know what his thought process. He is definitely getting moody this episode though. Oh yeah. He was like, I don't know if maybe he's just like, you know, my Love Island experience isn't going the way I thought it was going to go. Uh, so he's getting a little angry that seeing all the couples, what the one couple in particular, 
but he's just kind of been like a bit of an ass this episode. I think it's because he only has that little baggie of drugs. And so he's probably trying to stretch it as long as possible between whatever bumps, hits, whatever he's doing. And so he kind of has to get to that point of agitation before he'll allow himself to use again. Charlie tries to explain himself, but Locke points out to him and Jack and Kate, who just came out of nowhere. I don't know if they just saw everybody leave and were like, let's follow. Which just once again shows how close Charlie was to everybody, that they were all able to be there in like five seconds. Maybe he would just like took one step outside the cave. It's not a smart man. Locke explains to everyone that Charlie is standing on a beehive. Locke tells him to stand still and be quiet and tells Jack and Kate to go find something to cover the hive as a bunch of CGI bees land on Charlie. Back at the beach, Michael explains to Saeed and the onlookers his side of the story that he was just walking with Walt and then Jin beats him up unprovoked. But Saeed states that there has to be a reason that the fight would occur. And Michael points out that Saeed, being from Tikrit, Iraq, is probably unaware of the tension between Korean people and black people in the United States. Saeed admits that he was, he's not aware of this tension. We're taking this at face value. We're not members of either community. Um, so we're not, I'm myself, am not aware of any history of bad blood. But I think the show for its time, again, is being a little progressive, pointing out that we're not all aware of the different like day-to-day life of people in other communities. Yeah, I would agree. I wasn't aware of any, um, obviously I know that racism exists between minorities. I've experienced that with other groups of people. Um, but no, I wasn't aware of anything between Korean people and black people. Yeah. Even like the, the face of Saeed when he admitted that he was not aware that they just don't get along in general speaking, obviously not everyone, but I think it like really just shows um, how great Saeed is. Hottie of the week. I agree, but I'll, I'll tell you the specific reason why eventually. Oh, no, I'm not going to guess. Go ahead. Sun asks, in Korean for the cuffs to come off and Saeed tells them that they are going to stay on. But Hurley points out that the sun is going to bear down on Jin for a while, but Saeed states that the cuffs will stay on until they know what caused the fight because Jin almost killed Michael. Yeah. Last episode we talked about like what are appropriate consequences when you're on an Island like this. I think they handled this the right way. I think the act of physically restraining him in the heat of the moment was definitely the right call. I do think they overlooked the fact that they don't know where the keys are. Oh, I didn't think about that. How did they, how are they going to get? Well, I mean, these were on, like they didn't find the keys on the marshal. Oh no, because what's her face? He undoes it on the plane. Right, 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 right. Okay. Didn't think about that. I also think maybe they could have uh, locked him up in some shade. Yeah. <laughs> Cruel and unusual punishment. Or, or maybe like build him some shade. 
Yeah, how hard is it to put like a tarp? I, I, I guess Saeed does later say he's purposely lead, leaving him in the sun to put some discomfort on him before they like, you know, go round two of the interrogation. But again, they can't speak English. Like, what is the goal here? Yeah, I don't know how they thought that they were going to get any answers out of him. So overall, you would say that it was the correct decision to at least restrain him. Yeah, I mean, he seemed pretty set on uh, murder. Murder. Do you think he would have taken it that far? Well, I don't know. When we find out later the reasoning behind it, I don't know if that's justification to kill someone. I mean, we do see in a flashback later on, he comes home with blood on his hands. I don't know if that means he killed someone. But blood on your hands could just mean he did what he just did to Michael, that he just beat the shit out of somebody. And he has their blood all over him. So do I think that he would have killed Michael? No, but severely injured on a place where there's little to no medication. That's a good point. A minor cut or bruise on that island might just kill you. I don't think a bruise would, but an infected wound on the face. Sure. Fair enough. Yeah, I don't know anything really about bruises, how they would end up killing someone. I don't know someone. why a bruise would kill somebody. <laughs> Unless it's like a bruise on your brain. All right, now we both sound like idiots. So another flashback. Jin tells Sun that her father gave them permission to be married, and the two share a warm embrace. Jin shares that he will work for her father to be financially stable, and Sun does not like this idea at all, but Jin promises that it's only temporary. Then... He gives her a big-ass rock, telling her that they can afford it now because of all the new money, and she just loves it. They get another hug, and then she looks at this ring, and she's got this big-ass smile, and then we come back to the island, and she just looks miserable. So a nice, quick contrast there. I think she has a big-ass smile, but I still see hesitation and some, some worry in her face. Yeah, I mean, based off the... Uh, the product placement for Chanel later in this episode. I think Sun pre-island is a bit materialistic. Um, so part of her is probably excited, but also at the same time, she knows her father and she's right to be worried. I don't think materialistic is the right word. She comes from money. So her receiving this ring, I don't really think that's that big of a deal to her. Like if she's from this rich family getting expensive gifts is like probably pretty normal to her. I think the smile is my dad gave his approval. This is great. I get to marry the man I love. But when she's looking at the ring, she knows, okay, that's expensive. Essentially. she knows that Jen is now indebted to her dad. And I'm sure she knows how bad of a person her dad is since she's already worried about him working for him, you know? Right. I think the ring, the ring itself in a way represents that it, it could go either way. You know, you can cut yourself on a diamond, but like, it's pretty, this may work. He's finally like a part of her class with this job. You know, her father accepted him, but you know, her father's a douche and we see that she was right to be concerned. Right. Back on the Island, Jack attempts to put a suitcase over top the hive and Charlie expresses his frustration with the plan while still covered in CGI bees. 
and he slaps one that's crawling on his face and splits the hive open. Bees come flying out as the four scatter away. Kate and Jack run into the cave, stripping off their clothes, finally fulfilling what you predicted in episode one. Hey, she didn't take her pants off. No. I said she wanted to take her pants off for Jack. Finally free from the bees, Kate finds two skeletons in the caves. Jack looks over the bodies, stating that there's no major trauma to the bones, and they must have been laid to rest there. They ask where they came from. Jack brings up the obvious question of where the polar bear came from, and they come to the conclusion that the island is just a weird place. They honestly, they just brush over this stuff so easily. Like, this island is so out in the middle of nowhere that that nobody has heard this, what's the thing? This distress call from the French woman for 16 years. But they found a polar bear and now two dead bodies. And there's I, I some sort like, of monster. Right, right. But what I'm saying is, they just keep glossing over the fact that like people have been on this island, this island that's out in the middle of nowhere. Well, Jack does point out that Adam and Eve have been there for a while. So it's not out of question that there were some people that just lived there a long time ago that, you know, habited the island. But the clothing, I, they don't really go too much into the clothing, but, you know, I think you could have, to, you would have been able to tell by the clothing were these people who stumbled upon the island or were these people who were like native to the island you know what i mean right they did say that they were there for at least 40 to 50 years but they didn't specify if it was longer based off the way jack said it you can infer that it was a very long time he also finds a sack that has two rocks in it one is light the other dark yeah, what the hell was that about? I don't know. Like, they show it, and then he was like, it almost seemed like when whoever came up, Charlie or Locke or whatever came up, he was, like, going to hide it. I thought, like, was I supposed to understand like, the relevance behind that or something? Because I was so confused. I don't think you're supposed to understand the relevance. I think it's more just kind of, like, planting the seeds the same thing with Walt and Locke about the backgammon game with the two pieces, one being light, one being dark. So just like a common theme, really, that has now shown up twice and probably is going to show up more. Technically, that would be a motif. Sure. Okay, interesting. I'll keep an eye out. Locke and Charlie return to the caves and Charlie gives Kate her shirt back and she just explains that she took it off because it was full of bees. I thought they were C's, actually. 10 out of 10 joke. No? Yeah, I mean, it's a good joke. I don't think they're C cups, though. Wow. What? I'm just saying, after he said that, I looked at her boobs and I was like, no, probably B's. Yeah, but I think it's, I think it's okay to say they're C's for the purpose of the joke, rather right. than just being like, yeah. oh, yeah, I thought they were B's. Yeah, I get it. It was a good joke. Yeah. Um... No, Kate is not hottie of the week, despite uh, taking her shirt off. No, I didn't even consider her for hottie of the week. No, I was answering the listeners out there. We'll, we'll get to the hottie of the week. 
You ne- next time, remember to pick one and I won't hold it over your head the entire episode. No, I did. I picked one. I, I told you, I just had to wait and see how I felt. I had to reflect on the episode a little bit. After I asked you if you picked one and you made a face saying no. Well, because I remembered that I didn't, but I would have found one in the moment, which I did. Charlie asks if the bodies are the people who were here before us, basically the French people, and Locke asks who he's referring to. Charlie just impl- just makes up a lie that it stands to reason people could have been on the island before them, considering all the evidence, the two bodies in front of them. I ask you, should Locke be brought into the inner circle? I think, yeah, you know, he's providing, he's, I think like he has a pretty major role in camp life, but at the same time, is there really any benefit to telling more people? Maybe not. I'm kind of surprised that Locke bought that. I feel like it was, but I mean, I guess he doesn't have any reason. We have, you know, viewer bias because we know what he doesn't know. One thing that might be advantageous is if Locke is going into the jungle all the time, he may just stumble upon whatever is producing that signal. Yeah. I mean, I guess that's true. And even if there are like, if there's a small chance that this person is still alive on the Island, if he's out there hunting by himself, then he should probably be made aware, but they probably just don't think that there's any point in telling him. I mean, with Shannon and Boone knowing, I feel like Locke should know just because he's more. Yeah, useful. but they just know because they were there. They it's not like they were told for a specific reason. Yeah. Locke asks who they were, referring to them as both men, sexist John Locke, and Jack points out that one of them was a woman, and Locke deems them their own version of Adam and Eve. Do you have any predictions on who they may be? No. Because I was thinking, like, they could have something to do with the French woman, but it, probably not, because if they've been there for over 40 or 50 years, and that transmission's been playing for 16 years, they're probably unrelated. I would just assume, like, shipwrecked people. I don't know. Others, perhaps? I guess, if they've been on the island for a long time. Back with Sun and Jin. Sun is applying some aloe to Jin's raw wrist, and he winces in pain and snaps at her. Which is why he could not be hottie of the week. This triggers Sun to think back to another point in their relationship when Sun returns to her apartment and finds that Jin has gotten her a dog. That's the cutest fucking dog. Oh my god. Yeah, you love like little sausage rolls. Wrinkly dogs. Fat wrinkly dogs. I know it's it's a Sharpe. That's the type of dog that she got. But I love wrinkly dogs. Love Ashley Tisdale. Oh, yeah. He explains that he's working late hours and got it to keep her company. Sun reminisces about the time where all Jin had to give her was a flower. And then his cell rings and they're interrupted. That's another reason why I think saying that she's materialistic is not accurate. Because, you know, she's getting all these gifts from him. We can assume this isn't the only gift that he's giving her. And she really just wants to be with him. And wants it to be like it was when they were, you know, first falling in love before he was tied to her father. So we're seeing Jin slowly transform over time. Like this is like the the flashback period is being stretched out. Um, It's not just like one day after another, like the previous week with Jack. What do you think about this transformation of Jin and like 
how would you react if it was like your circumstance? I don't think anybody can say how they would react because to speculate on how you would react, everybody's going to say, Oh, I would never put up with that. I would blah, blah, blah. But honestly, it's not fair to say something like that because you don't know how you would react in that situation. I've never been in an abusive relationship and to sit here and say, I wouldn't put up with it. I think that's insulting to people who have been in abusive relationships because nobody thinks they're going to end up in that situation. I think from Jin's perspective, he's doing what he thinks he has to do in order to provide for son. I think he's slowly losing himself in this process. And, you know, obviously her dad is not a good guy. I'm getting like mafia type vibes, you know, obviously some criminal activity, but with a lot of money behind it. So I think he's just kind of doing what he thinks he has to. And she's holding on to the man that she fell in love with, who's slowly slipping away from her. Right. I think it's a powerful persona of son's father, considering how much we like think about him and talk about him. And he's not even in the episode. Yeah, that's true. He's essentially one of the main characters of this episode without ever being shown, which I think is kind of just highlighting his power over people. Right. Back on the island, Locke offers to stay with Charlie to salvage the wreckage. And Kate tells Jack that they need to head back. Jack starts to talk about the logistical nightmare of carrying enough water back for 46 people to drink every day. And then Jack suggests that they should be like Adam and Eve and live in the caves. And immediately, Kate is not pleased. Without getting too far into it, because I want to talk about it a little further down, what was your initial reaction of Kate, like, not being on board? I just thought that she was in the same camp as everybody else. Like, I don't want to give up on being rescued. Walt notices that Jin is staring at him and like kind of almost smiling, or at least that's how I kind of interpreted it. Um, And then Michael walks up to them and yells at Jin, believing that he might've said something to Walt. Jin says something nasty. I assume son and Michael exchange looks and Michael and Walt leave. Walt asks why Jin doesn't like them, referring to the tension between their communities. Michael tells him that he doesn't really think that way and that he was just angry in the moment. Walt asks Michael what he did to Jin, believing that's the next logical conclusion if there is no tension. And Michael gets offended. I also think, you know, we talked earlier about how this episode is touching on racism and discrimination between groups of people. What this is also kind of touching on is the fact that not only is Michael put in this position of having to be a father all of a sudden to a kid that he doesn't know, he's also the father of a black child who is apparently just now questioning racism. Why wouldn't somebody like us? And if Walt was living in Australia with his mom, this might not have been something that he experienced. I'm not really sure what Australia is like if there's the same sort of discrimination that we have here in the States. But maybe that's not something that Walt has ever experienced. And I don't know, maybe they'll never get off the island and Walt will never experience it. But it's something that his dad is going to have to approach with him. And I think now 
this episode's not really getting that deep into it, but I do think it's touching on that topic as well. Really good point. You know, I never actually thought about um, Walt not living in the States. So again, you know, it was almost 20 years ago. I'm not really sure how different the cultures, you know, between Australia and the States were that long ago. But yeah, I mean, you look at it now and you look at the rest of the world and we seem to be behind. So this really could be something that Walt has never experienced. Michael asks Walt what his mother said about him. And Walt tells him not much was said. Michael realizes that Walt knows nothing about him. And Walt, being a child, asks, well, you don't know anything about me. And Michael's like, I know a lot about you. Walt does the whole, when's my birthday? Michael answers it immediately and then asks him when is his. Walt realizes he doesn't know and it shuts him down. You might not like this since you actually work with children and like, you know, like them, but seeing that kid get shut down was just so satisfying. You know what? I have this thing. I've always had it. It's not just for the show. Something about when dads are trying, but their kids are kind of like rejecting them makes me very sad. Always. Like even in little stuff, like, Andrew's dad really wanted him to get into wrestling and he was really excited about it. And he bought him like wrestling shoes. And then Andrew like did it for a little bit and then like quit. That makes me sad for his dad because he got excited about something and he, you know, was trying and then, you know, it didn't work out. And in shows when, you know, dads are kind of made fun of or whatever. I don't know what about, what it is about it, but it makes me very sad. So this whole time of Walt kind of being resistant to Michael has been making me very sad. One, I can now hear, hear Izzy snoring in the background. I know it's getting louder. Two, Sorry. would you really say Michael has been trying? No, I don't think he's been trying. But I think he's been kind of trying in his own way. I think maybe he doesn't know how to try. He de- he definitely has tried with the whole, I'm your friend and I found your dog, that kind of stuff. But like really in this episode, it's like a lot of just like walking around, not really doing anything to like get that kind of sadness that you're feeling specifically in this episode. No, but- I didn't feel it in this episode, except for like when, when, Walt asked him when his birthday was. I fully expected Michael to not know when his birthday was. So when he knew it, I was like, oh, you know, that kind of gives me an inkling that maybe he cares more than I thought. Maybe he wasn't just kind of like, oh, shit, I got to take care of this kid now. Now, obviously, knowing a birthday is the absolute bare minimum. But I don't know. It made me just kind of think, well... You know, maybe he he is trying. He just doesn't know how. If you've never been a parent before, then you don't know how. And then all of a sudden you get this kid who's, you know, been through a lot of trauma recently. He's just trying to figure it out. In the next scene, Sun begs Jin to let her attempt to explain to the camp what happened. And Jin tells her they will not explain themselves to a thief and her place is at his side. Again, I don't really know a lot about um, Korean culture and the dynamics of a marriage there, but 
What are your thoughts on his statement of you belong here? I kind of think it's, he's literally handcuffed and it kind of feels like she's metaphorically handcuffed. Yeah. That's pretty much what I'm getting from it. That it feels more of a husband owning a wife rather than a partnership. He's like, you serve me. You need to stay right here with me and you need to do what I say. Even going back to when she was asking, what was that last episode? When she was like, when are they going to tell us what to do? I don't think we're getting rescued. And he was like, I'll tell you what to do. Right. Even Yeah. Going back to last episode, she thanks him for the water. And he's like, oh, you know, it's, it's what husbands do. And then in this episode, his wrist is raw from the handcuff. And she's putting the aloe on there, trying to take care of him. And no thank you kind of just bites her head off a little bit. You know, it's upsetting to see when you have that comparison of the flashbacks of when he was sweet and they were very much in love to now. Yeah, I think you just it's that classic thing of like when you're agitated and when you're pushed to your limits, you take it out on the person that you love the most. And that's kind of what we're seeing here is she's trying to take care of him. But first of all, she's the only one that he can communicate with. So she is going to get all of his bitchiness. Well, and Michael, too. Well, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Forgot about Michael getting punched in the face and drowned in the ocean. It It, it is hard. Um, sometimes with Kate, we'll just, one of us will just be in a pissy mood and we'll snap at each other. And in the moment, we'll realize like, gone way too far. Like, and try to apologize. Sometimes it's just hard for it to like come off like either genuine or like, you know, like you mean it rather than you're just like, Oh, I shouldn't have done that. And I'm going to apologize to avoid it going somewhere further. But I, I mean, like you and I will never do that to each other. In fact, we'll take it to the next level anytime we get into an argument, but it's hard when you're in a relationship to, because you know, you get frustrated. You take your anger out on people that don't deserve it. And when it's in a relationship, there's that whole other level of you should not mistreat that person in any way. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I was, I was going to nitpick your last sentence of a whole other level of you shouldn't mistreat that person. I mean, you shouldn't mistreat any person. Okay. Well, you have been so mean to me over the last six episodes. You are not a person to me. You are my brother. So Get fucked. Next flashback, Jin returns home from work and runs into the bathroom covered in blood. He's washing it off and son comes in and asks if he's okay, realizing it's not his blood. He tells her that he was working and son asks if that is the work that her father has him doing. She begs him to look at her, but he only pushes her away. Literally and emotionally. Son then slaps the shit out of Jin. It was a good slap. Great and, slap. Oh, yeah. And then Jin gives her this angry look, telling her that he does what her father tells him to do, and he does it for them. When I wrote that sentence, I thought, I'm using a lot of pronouns. I'm scared to record it. Yeah, it gets edited out, but Zane messes up his pronouns constantly. I have to tell him. He doesn't even notice it. After he talks, I just go, 
nope. And then he has to re-say it because he'll just switch him and her, his and her. What am I saying? Her, him. He and she, his and her. Yeah. I don't do pronouns. (laughs) There's no pronouns in the Bible. One time in college, um, on my first day of one of my marketing classes, they had us write our names on like a little nameplate. And I wrote my name and then I wrote my pronouns because I just thought like, you know, we do that on Zoom now. So I feel like that should be done. And I did it. And then I kind of looked around the room and saw people just looking at my nameplate and then picking theirs up and like writing their pronouns on it and then putting it back in place. And I was like, trendsetter. Okay. Well, we have 15 minutes until I have to leave for dog training. Well, actually I don't have to leave for 30 minutes, but we need to practice our rollover for show and tail. Okay. Well, honey, we got a lot more than 30 minutes. More than 30 minutes? Well, a lot more than 15 minutes. Okay, well, then hurry the fuck okay, up. You've okay. got 20. All right, so on their way back, Jack and Kate stop to rest, and while Jack is in deep thought, he stares at Kate's ass. Kate asks if that is him checking it out, clearly open to the idea, but Jack tells her that he was thinking about the plans for the cave camp. He asks her for her input and support to convince the camp, and Kate shares that she's not even convinced herself yet. Why do you think Kate's being so hesitant about moving? At the moment, I was thinking same thing as before. Like, moving into the jungle is basically giving up on getting rescued. Nobody is going to see them on the beach. Then, back with Charlie and Locke, Charlie attempts to sneak away to do drugs again. But Locke tells him that they should stick together. Charlie tells him to bugger off, as the Brits say. And Locke reveals that he knows that Charlie's band was drive shaft and that he recognizes him. Charlie is immediately happy. Yeah, he doesn't really talk about it a lot, but his band means a lot to him. Um, and Locke shares that he was a fan. He knows both of their albums. Uh, and he asks how long it's been since he's played. Charlie says it's been over a week. And Locke tells him that the guitar may turn up. But Charlie has little hope. But Locke says he will see it again almost knowingly. What do you think about all-knowing Locke? I think Locke has experienced a miracle. I will not short him on that. But now he's become, he's giving cult leader vibes. And I think that says it all. Especially later on with the, you must give the island something. The island something, which we'll get to that. I have thoughts. Jack and Kate join Saeed, who is drenched in sweat from splitting wood. This is why Saeed is hottie of the week. Uh, just because he looks so hot in that moment. But also, where did they get an axe? I don't even remember this scene. I have really? no idea what you're talking about. He's like, oh, thank God. Or No, he probably didn't say that. He's like, it's about time. I am thirsty. And he's just covered in sweat. I remember him being thirsty. But yeah, he's splitting wood. And I just think to myself, and that's, it's the ax that Michael uses later, but I'm just like, where did they get this ax from? Do they just have axes on planes? Maybe like a fire emergency ax on a plane. There's fires on planes. There's snakes on planes. Tired of these. Saeed brings them up to speed on the Jin Michael situation and his plans to eventually communicate with Sun. Jack shares his plan about moving the camp to the caves, 
But Saeed is immediately not on board, asking what happened to live together, die alone? Why is he creating his own community? Saeed thinks that digging in is suicide, but Jack thinks that the elements bearing down on them is equally as bad. Saeed leaves refusing to go to the cave camp. Caves versus beach. You have to decide. Go. Uh, I personally think I would be a caves gal on the condition that there are people on the beach to do the whole rescue thing. In a show called The Wilds that was wrongfully canceled, fuck you, Amazon, they have the same dilemma where they're like, are they going to live on the beach? Are they going to move inland? And they decide to move inland, but they just take shifts working the signal fire. Why couldn't that be an option? I thought the same thing, that if they need to have the fire going, even just having a shift of like always having somebody on the beach. I mean, there's like 47 people. 46. Joanna died. Okay. 46 people and a ghost? I'm sure and they a dog. can figure this out. And a dog! Sawyer says like, oh, if, or, or, no, it was Michael. Michael says if a ticket off the island comes, he doesn't want to miss it. I don't think that like the half of them that stay are going to be like, no, fuck the cave people. We're the only survivors. No, I don't think that would happen either. But it might be a situation where you'd feel more confident if you're in control of your own fate in that moment like you don't know if you're not there they might just sit back in the caves and worry the whole time what if somebody's coming and i'm not there to see it you just feel more confident if you're there on the beach i also think it's a bit of a risk splitting up the group when they know that there's polar bears monsters potential other people on the island in the form of french people Eh, i don't think it's that big of a deal to split up the group a lot of people a group of 20 and a group of 20 those are still big groups that's true so now the camp is getting political jack is shaking hands and kissing babies while Said approaches michael apologizing for the interrogation from before and asks where he stands on the two camps michael wants to remain at the beach thinking it's the best option to get his son off the island jack offers gin some water you know politics is all about bribes and hurley asks jack what's going on with kate and him Jack just dodges the question. Meanwhile, Sawyer is asking Kate how she leans on the Jack versus Saeed uh, fight, saying they're both fighting for her, and that a lot of the camp is looking to her on her decision. Neither one of them are willing to say if they're going to stay or go. Do you think it's a little weird that the beach has suddenly just turned into a political campaign? Yeah, I mean, the whole scene of Jack going up and like shaking those people's hands, like, which he, which told me that he'd obviously never talked to those people before. Because, like, why is he shaking hands with them? It's just, that was kind of weird. Why does it really matter to Jack how many people go to the water? He's, like, he's a doctor. He wants to save everyone. I get that. But all he really needs to do, call a camp meeting. A, call everybody together. Just tell them this is an option if you want to go. We're going. If you don't go, somebody is going to be responsible from the beach group to come and get water every day. Yeah. And also, like, you can just live on either. You know, you can, you can, Monday and Tuesday, I'm on the beach. 
And I like to uh, Wednesday through Friday, I'm at the caves. I alternate weekends. Like they don't have to necessarily move into the caves permanently or stay at the beach permanently. They can change their minds. Yeah. I mean, it really just, it just really does not matter that much. So at this point, with all the characters that we care about, who did you think was going to go where? So we know Jack, Hurley, Locke, and Charlie are going to the caves. We know Saeed, Michael, and Walt are staying. So that leaves Jin, Sun, Sawyer, Boone, and Shannon. Shannon seems like a beach girly to me. But she also seems like someone who wouldn't want to work that hard for water. And Claire, by the way. Oops. Claire would go wherever Jack is going to be by the doctor for her imminent childbirth. I you think, think she can walk that far, though? She only has to walk that far once. What do you want to be? You're about to give birth. Like, you got to be by the doctor. True. Uh, Boone, uh, I don't know, wherever he can be most helpful and then i don't even remember who else you said i don't really have thoughts on anybody else jen and son are the last ones i would like to know just because it is their episode uh i didn't have a thought before and i know they end up going to the caves, so i can't really guess i was shocked that they went i, I mean actually no i'm not because probably the their tension's high change of scenery is good Michael and Walt stayed, but Jin's the fisherman. You'd think I was just stay at the to ocean. say, you would think he'd be close to the ocean, but I guess, you know, I don't know how long we walk it. If you're not carrying a shit ton of water, maybe it's not a big deal to just hike out to the beach and do some fishing. Yeah. You don't necessarily even have to go to that beach. You can just go to one that's closer. If there is one closer. Possible. We don't really know. We don't have a scale of what the island really is right now. Sun follows Michael into the jungle and she watches him as he splits wood. We get a quick flashback of Sun speaking with an interior designer and Jin yells that the dog needs to be moved. They go into another room and it turns out this designer is actually someone helping Sun plan an escape from Jin and her father. They run through the plan about how she's going to disappear at the airport in Sydney and stay hidden until they think she's dead leaving everything and everyone behind. I kind of wish that they would put some time stamps on these flashbacks or even just clues to how much time has passed between each flashback. Because to me, I was like, damn, that escalated quickly. Like they're in love. And then he pushes her a little bit. She slaps him across the face and now she wants to leave him. I mean, good for her. For wanting to leave the situation, but I, I kind of just wish like I had known, okay, how long has this been going on? Right. As the show goes on, a lot of the flashback stories will be placed in between these bigger like flashbacks. Oh, so, so like we'll get more information about this whole situation. Mm-hmm. Especially mm-hmm. Sun and Jin's episode really um, was the one where it was big gaps of time between each flashback. Um, the other ones were very like quick succession, but we'll, we'll see bits and pieces of their story filled in. I guess the only clue that we have is that she learned English in order to run away. So we have to assume that there was a pretty good amount of time that passed for her to learn a language. Her style also kind of changed. Like her hair was longer and then eventually she got like the bob. Like obviously you can get your hair cut in a day, but I feel like that was kind of a way to like 
show the passing of time. Yeah, yeah that makes sense. Sun steps out and approaches Michael. Michael's immediately annoyed and waves her off, but then she reveals that she can speak English. Michael's angry, and Sun explains that Jin doesn't know about her English because of his temper, and that's why she hasn't spoken up before. Sun explains that Jin beat the ever-living shit out of Michael because of the watch that Michael was wearing, and it belonged to her father. Michael thinks it's ridiculous that that was enough to be beat within an inch of his life, and Sun simply puts that no one really knows her father. Sun asks for his help. Do you feel like you missed out on like a nice reveal because you already knew this? Um, yeah, but I will say I didn't realize it was revealed this quickly. I mean, I, as I watched the episode, I was like, okay, the only way out of this is that she reveals she can speak English. So I predicted that the reveal was coming, but yeah, I mean, I, I wish that I didn't know. How, how do you feel about the series so far? Cause like the two, like, some of the big reveals you've already known. Are you enjoying it so far? We're six episodes in. I can't really tell. Uh, yeah, because I'm still, it is making me curious about the things that like, that I don't know. Like, what did Kate do? I do not know what Kate did. I don't know. I guess I'm just kind of curious what's going to happen with Claire giving birth on an island. I don't know about that. So there's plenty of stuff that I don't know that I think it's fine. And also all this stuff that I knew has been revealed very quickly. So I think that's nice for me because that means pretty soon I'm going to be completely in the dark. Back with Charlie and Locke. Charlie attempts to sneak away again, but Locke catches him and confronts him. This time there's no beating around the bush. Locke asks Charlie to just simply hand over his drugs, saying he's going to run out eventually, and at least this way the detox will be his choice. Charlie denies it, saying that he doesn't know anything about him, and Locke says that he understands pain and just wants to help. Charlie walks away, but Locke asks if he wants his guitar. More than your drug? More than you know, Charlie says. Locke says that the island may give him what he's looking for, but first he needs to give the island something. Charlie hands Locke his drugs and Locke tells him to look up. The guitar is stuck in some vines and roots on the side of a cliff. Charlie cries and they never explain how they got it down. I thought the same thing. How the fuck are they getting that down? The other thing is, as I'm watching this, obviously, like as a viewer, you're like, okay, duh, Locke already knows where this guitar is. He's just kind of using this to try to help Charlie Locke has really kind of taken on this like I'm going back to the whole cult leader thing he's like taking on this cult leader role but he's also almost putting the island in that role saying give the island something and it will give you something in return he's personifying the island but he's not just personifying it he's talking about himself because he's asking Charlie to give him the drugs and then he will tell him where the guitar is. So he's just putting himself and the island like together into this like all-knowing entity. I'm guessing you don't like that. It's weird, but I also have just icky feelings about religion and it, it, it is touching. It, it flirts with the concept of religion. I think, you know, even the 
you know, Charlie makes a joke about it, but having him look up, I know that the guitar was above him, but even that is like some symbolism to like, you're looking to a higher power. This higher power has returned your guitar to you. No, Locke, you just knew where it was. Right. But also this higher power did return something. Locke's ability to walk. Yes, I understand that. And that's what I said earlier. I will not take that away from him. That's why he's acting like this. But it's a little weird. Because none of these other things... Well, that's not true. Because Jack saw his dead dad. So what the fuck do I know? Do you think he's wrong? What are your thoughts on the island right now? Uh, I don't think he's wrong per se but i think in this situation he just he created that situation himself he found the guitar previously he knew where it was connected it to charlie used it to get charlie to give up his drugs the island didn't do any of that i think maybe the island led jack to the caves to the water source and i think maybe the island allowed Locke to walk again. But maybe Jack just stumbled upon the caves after hallucinating that he sees his dead father because he's probably still traumatized by his father dying. And maybe Locke was suffering from some kind of psychosis that didn't allow him to walk when he was pre-crashed and then he crashed and now he can walk amazingly. I had a thought, but I don't remember what I was going to say. Because I rambled too much. Yeah. Anyway, I really I had something that I really wanted to say, but I can't remember what it is. Maybe it'll come back to me. Jack approaches Kate and asks if she's ready to leave. And she tells him that she will be staying at the beach. She can't dig in. Jack tries to convince her to come, but she won't tell him the reason she wants to stay. Jack asks what caused her to be this way. Kate says he had his chance to know. Jack leaves with a simple, if you need me, you know where to find me. And once he's out of earshot, she says, you know where to find me too. Here's how I feel about this. Obviously it is. Kate is pulling away from Jack because everybody's making these jokes that they're like the married couple on the Island and they're flirting and all this stuff. And Kate's, distancing herself from him. You see that because of how emotional she is, but it's kind of weird to me that Jack so easily jumps to that conclusion. You know, why doesn't she just say, you know, when she says I can't dig in, I actually originally thought that she was just saying, I can't give up on being rescued, which I think she actually does say that, but why doesn't he just say, okay, yeah, makes sense. Like the other people who don't want to give up on being rescued. I mean, he's right. He sees what's actually happening, but I guess it's interesting to me that he can read her so easily after not really knowing her that well. I think another element of it is um, Kate's just immediate instinct to always run. And like you said, people are making these comments about how they're, they're a thing, like what's going to happen with them. And it's becoming a little too real for her. And she just does her natural instinct, which is to pull away. Right. And I already said that. Right. Um, so yeah, the fact that he is able to read her so well, I think 
frustrates her, but I don't think Jack reads her to the level that he wants to. He does not like being out of the know. Yeah, I agree. I think he wants to go a step further and understand why she's like this. He can tell that she's pulling away, that there was something there and she's fighting it essentially. But at the same time, I don't really understand how they've gotten so close. Like I get, you know, they went through a traumatic experience together and they've been kind of leaning on each other for support, but like, dude, you don't really know her that well. As a viewer, do you ship it? No. No, not at all? Feels toxic. Really? I'm a huge Jate stan. No. You're more of a Sate stan? Is that what people say? Because I hate that. I don't know. Kate and Sawyer versus Jack and Kate. Both seem toxic, to be honest. So you're more of a Kate and Saeed girl? That could be interesting. The Saeed's too good for her. It's true. So now Michael has a captive audience by holding the axe in Jin's face. That was a very good pun by Michael, by the way. Michael tells Jin he understands the reason for everything. It was the watch. Michael explains that he found it and wore it because his watch was broken. And why should he let a $20,000 watch go to waste, even though time doesn't matter? He gives him the watch and breaks the cuff with the axe and tells Jin to stay away from both him and Walt. And then Michael storms off and passes his son without a word. I would hold on to that watch. <laughs> I don't understand. I'm kind of jumping, but like, that's it. How did everybody else accept the fact that, okay, he's free now? Did they just say, oh, we cleared it up. It's fine. Or did they reveal to other people that son speaks English and she explained it? They didn't reveal it, but I'm, you know, a lot of people saw that happen. So if they see that Michael is the one who freed Jin, they might come to the conclusion. I guess. In the final flashback, while Jack is at the counter from last episode, Sun prepares to leave. She sees her ride, but she looks over at Jin, who is holding a flower. Sun abandons her plan to escape and joins Jin in line. Jin gives her the flower and asks if she is okay, and she lies saying that the flower is beautiful to explain her crying. Why do you think Sun ultimately chose to stay? I think she understandably was questioning, is this the right decision? She looks over at him and he holds up the flower and she's thinking to herself, maybe the man I fell in love with is still in there. And holding up the flower was like giving her this little symbol of hope. Like it can be the way it used to be. So she goes back to him, which isn't uncommon. I... Will not say this with 100% confidence, but I do believe that victims of domestic violence typically return to their partners seven times before they leave officially. In the final montage scene, the cave people move in while Charlie plays his guitar. The notable people that joined the camp are Jack, Locke, Charlie, Sun, Jin, and Hurley. Hurley listens to a little music and we get a montage of Jack filling his water bottle, the beach camp tending to the signal fire. Walt asks Michael when his birthday is. Saeed, Sawyer, and Kate all stare at the fire. Jack joins Locke at the cave fire. Sun unpacks a shirt that Jin doesn't approve of. 
Charlie continues to play his guitar and Jack and Kate stare at the fire, clearly thinking about each other as the song plays. Are you sure that this is where you want to be? I really liked that song. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good song. And that is the end of this episode. Last question. I know you got to run. Were you surprised by anyone who went to the camp or stayed at the beach? No. Do you think this is a huge mistake? I think as long as somebody's on the beach to have the fire, it's fine. And lastly, if one side were to outlast the other, not in a sense of dying off, but like they just, one side gives up and moves back or moves to the caves, which do you think would outlast the other? I think the caves would be a better place to live. I think the beach people would get sick of having to trek back and forth for water. They're probably hotter. Um, Yeah, I think they would end up going to the caves. All right. Well, we're up against the clock, so we're going to cut it here. But overall, what do you think of the episode? I liked this episode. I'm interested in Sun and Jin, mostly just because I feel like through the flashbacks show how much their relationship has changed. So I'm interested to see, like, okay, now they're on this island and her dad doesn't have any influence anymore. Can they rekindle their love yeah i i really liked this episode um like i said earlier it was kind of a hidden gem i didn't really think of it as like one of the better episodes of season one and maybe we're only six episodes in and i'm looking at them each in a new light for the show but yeah i had a lot of fun watching this one and taking the notes uh and i can't wait for next week episode seven the moth lauren do you know who that one's about if you had to guess the moth. No, I have no idea. Do you want me to tell you or do you want to find out? Tell me. It is a Charlie episode. Ah. Uh, okay. Interesting. All righty. It's time for me to kill it with the outro. Please follow us on all social media. Our TikTok at Lauren gets lost dot pod Instagram at Lauren gets lost pod and Twitter at Lauren gets lost. Please rate us five stars wherever you're listening. You can find us on Spotify, Amazon music and audible. And now officially as of now, Apple podcasts and Apple podcasts. Thank you for listening to Lauren gets lost. This podcast is hosted and edited by Zane Kohler, co-hosted by Lauren Kohler produced by Kate Wister. And our music is done by David Kohler. And remember, they weren't dead the whole time.